Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. All-star closer, Kenley Jansen, we have a question. What's the best podcast of all time? Baseball isn't boring, baby. I'm Rob Bradford, and every single day I'm sitting down with the biggest names to show you this great game is the greatest game. It's my podcast. It's my passion. It's a cause I started more than two years ago and is now the most prolific national daily baseball pod there is. Another fact, so jump aboard the B.I.B. Express. Follow and listen to Baseball Isn't Boring, presented by Wasabi Hot Cloud Storage on the free Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. We're here to talk about... Ways that you can protect your children when it comes to estate planning. Now, we have talked about estate planning for females, for women, you know, who may be single and how can they, they can get started with it. So many different ways. But children, that's a whole different story. So I hope you will really pay attention tonight because we know that parents who do just about anything to protect their children would absolutely care about estate planning for them. For parents without a plan, this leaves the fate of their children in the hands of others. So to help avoid that, local attorney Philip J. Roos from Stone Arch Law is joining us with tips to protect our children with estate planning. And he joins us on the John Schuster Caldwell Banker Hotline. Hello, Philip. Hi, thank you so much for having me back. Good evening. Oh, it's great to have you back. Okay, so we've talked about women and so much more when it comes to making sure your children are taken care of. Is that a whole nother piece of itself, like set aside? Or when mothers are, single mothers are trying to do their estate, do they are they being told it's important to make sure your children are protected? Right, and I think it all just sort of extends from each other. I mean, these are all going to be interrelated on some level. An estate plan for anybody, for whatever reason you're you're creating it, is really to make sure that your assets are being uh, distributed to the right people, the right time, the right way, for the right reasons. And that can be anything. It's, it's a very personal decision. I think when it comes to parents in particular, whether your children are adults or if they're very young children, we want to make sure that that's being distributed in a way that, that reflects our values. There are some default rules out there that don't always do what we think they do. So we want to make sure that we're uh, creating our own rules for what happens to, uh, for our money and, and for our kids. And of course, when it comes to young children, we have that added uh, concern about who would actually provide physical care for these, these young people, who would be the guardian of them. Exactly. And a health directive does that for us. You know, if we want to make sure that our wishes are made and done um, near the end of life or if you're just going through a very difficult time, of course, you want to make sure you have that health directive. This is the same thing, except this is about having your wishes clearly communicated when it comes to your children. Is that the definition of it? Is that how we should simply look at it? You know, that's, that's a great way to put it. I've never really thought of it that way, that we're, what we're doing in some ways is I do a health care directive for myself so that my physical care is taken care of without having to involve the court system. And the reason we appoint our guardians is is if something happened to, for example, I have, very, I have three very young kids. They're all under five years old. If something happened to my wife and I, we also want to make sure we're reflecting those values, not just for the, the, the physical care, but for the care of the money as well. I, I think that's very accurate. 
You know, well, some of the challenges that we um, hear from uh, my friends, especially the women in my life, is, you know, what happens if I lose my estate plans? You know, where where should mm-hmm. I keep it? If I lose it, then who do I go to? Does, does the law, will the laws change several times? Let's say if you lose it, you know, 15 years later, are the laws still yeah. the same? So first off, I would I would commend those individuals because that means they did some planning. So they did realize that these defaults, these backup laws aren't enough. They don't do what they probably want to do. So they've created some sort of plan. They've created a will document. They've created the will's close cousin, which is called a revocable trust. I think I might touch on that a little tonight. Uh, so what happens if you create those documents and then they've disappeared? And we do, we do run into that. So what's, what's very important with this is, first off, whichever attorney, but this is much better if it's been done professionally, the law office where it was created probably has records of what happened. Our office here at Stonehenge Law Office, we keep uh, scanned, encrypted, signed copies indefinitely. But also, I think within the family, it's important to communicate that you have a plan and make sure people know uh, where it is. We like to make sure that folks uh, have a, an electronic copy with their financial advisor if they have one. If not, we do send them electronic copies for their own you know, cloud-based apps or to share with the family if they're comfortable with that. So part of it's going to be communication. Okay, so when you when you have a will or something like that, you automatically just kind of breathe and sigh and smile and go, okay, took care of that, check that off. And then you think that it's taking care of itself. But like an estate plan, it isn't, correct? Right. The, the, the well, And what, what we try to do here is we want to focus on that peace of mind. Sometimes it's not the same thing, but sometimes I, I get a comparison uh, to maybe life insurance. It's not pleasant to think about getting life insurance. It's not pleasant to think about the process. But when it's done, you sigh and you say, like you said, you know, okay, this is, all right, check. And that's a very, very important thing to have done, and it's done. And I think that's what the families with whom we work get when they, when they, when they finish this process is I like to think we make it easy and very approachable. But even so, when it's done, things are signed, check, check it off. And then it is important to make sure it's tracked and updated. We don't want to keep things too, um, we don't want to keep things, well, things to get too stale. There's a very lighthearted rule of thumb that we use. Uh, you mentioned rules changing. Yes. Uh, a will document is a court document. A will document is a letter to a judge. It controls uh, the probate process, this, this administrative court proceeding where our stuff is distributed and creditors get to make claims against an estate. We don't want to submit 20-year-old court documents. We want to make sure these are updated and that they reflect uh, not just the laws, but our own values and our changing family. So we usually tell folks that if your will document is 20 years old, you just need to redo it. If you Don't amend it. Don't change it. Don't hope for the best. Just redo it every 20 years. And that's good. I mean, it means the last 20 years usually by default. Um, of course, if you've had other big life changes, marriages, divorces, you know, that by itself is good. Probably indicate an update, but keep it up to date, keep it fresh, and make sure that, that you maintain that peace of mind of knowing that your family would be cared for. What happens if you don't, though? Does, it, does that mean mm-hmm. you, don't, you may not get everything you thought you were going to get? Right. So if we, there's a couple things that can happen here. So a very common thing. So first of all, address an aging estate plan that just wasn't updated. Typically speaking, whatever is in the will document, and I'm using the will as an example, there's a couple tools we can use, but I'll just talk about a will. Uh, a will document is overriding these default estate uh, intestacy statutes. There's these default rules out there that everybody gets. If you don't 
have a plan, you're getting the state rules. That is your state plan. It probably doesn't do what you think it does. So what we're doing is we're over overwriting those with our own values, our own wishes, and that's that's a will. So what has happened then is if if the courts like to see things happen a certain way, they have certain requirements. If you have an old will document that's 25 years old and it was done properly and it was signed properly with the appropriate witnesses, notaries, et cetera, you do all the formalities, it will still get admitted. But once it's admitted, now what's going to happen? And we have seen so many ambiguities in these plans. We've seen so many references to people who have you know, died or they've just been a falling, falling out or there's, they only named two kids, but now there's six kids or there's grandkids or the charity that they want to give money to doesn't exist anymore. We just got to be very careful of that. And when we're dealing with something that's going through the court system, a court document, we just got to be careful. If it's too ambiguous, we may have to throw these provisions out of the will document and use these backup rules, which, again, you may not even know what they say instead. So keep that document updated. The other thing, and, the, and probably the more common thing, is folks just don't have a plan. And if they don't have a plan, we're going to use, these again, these backup rules that, again, if you don't know what they are, are you comfortable with that being your state plan, or, or should we do something about that? The cost of estate planning is, um, is, has skyrocketed. You know, I know people who got estate plans done, <clears throat> you know, decades ago, and all of a sudden you want to update it or you want to look at it and say, yeah, 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 I want to make sure I add this and add that, and the cost has gone up quite significantly. Mm-hmm. I, I think it has. I think that, and it depends. There's a range of things to do, because if we're looking to just make sure we're controlling the probate process, I'm not ever going to say that lawyers are inexpensive, but there, it depends how elaborate we want to get with the plan. There are plans that are, you know, I don't know. I mean, a, a few hours of lawyer's time. It depends on, on what that, how that lawyer calculates that time. But there's certainly, if you go, uh, especially to some of the really large law firms, there's some estates that are multi-million dollar estates with dozens and dozens of people involved. And there's these twenty and $30,000 estate plans, unlikely for most people. The people listening to this broadcast, my family included, um, probably not, not there, but, uh, you know, what was it, but what we're focusing on again is, is going to be that peace of mind. So is there value in knowing that we've done this in a way that reflects our family? And because it was done by a professional, do we feel, and do we, do we know that, uh, I can rest easy at night? This was done properly. And sometimes maybe we want to invest a little bit in that process. Yeah. So now you suggested if you have children and no estate estate plans with named guardians, a judge will choose who watches over your children. That could be someone who you wouldn't have chosen. That's absolutely terrifying for a parent to read. It is. There's uh, there's a statute. So the statutes, these default rules, they, they spell out everything. They spell out every possible possibility. Numerous. You've had numerous marriages. You've had kids from previous people or it's all been in this same family, whatever it is, the statute has something that's going to happen in that scenario. And if you don't know what it is, you, you don't know what it is. I mean, you may not know what you don't know. Uh, so who's going to care for my children? When we're talking about who should care for kids, that is something that can be appointed directly in the will document. So what the, what the, the statute says is the first priority is whoever's named in the will. So if you have a will, this is your opportunity to make that decision on who uh, about who will will care for my young kids. The most common one that we see is we see young parents, so it's, these are people, again, with very young children, uh, naming their parents to care for their kids. And that's a great choice. There's nothing wrong with that at all. Um, that's probably actually a very good choice and probably some shared values there. We always got to be a little careful, though. One thing that you're allowed to do is you're allowed to say, I nominate these people as guardians of my minor children, 
If they're unable or unwilling, then you can name a backup or another backup, and as many as you want. And we like to see at our office here at Stone Arch Law, we like to see at least two backups. We like to see the main person you'd like to have serving and then two more. And in that chain, we probably want to have at least someone in there who is of your generation. So, for example, uh, my wife and I started a little later in life having kids. We have these young kids. My parents are in their early 70s. Uh, my wife's are too. And you can picture, you know, an 18-year-old being cared for by people who are 90. And is that an ideal situation? And it might not be. And perhaps we won't make sure that somewhere in line there we've got like a sibling or a close cousin or even some close friends you've talked to who maybe share your values. But here's the thing. We used to be, it used to be that you would, you know, have your children christened in church and then you would have the godparents say, yes, I will take care of the child and make sure that all your needs are, all their needs are met according to what you have suggested or, mm-hmm. or demanded. And nowadays, you don't even know who the godparents are. And by the way, I don't even have one. So, you know, we, we don't, we don't do that anymore. Now we have to deal with a lot of legalese and that's a whole yeah. nother ball game. Tell us how we can get an understanding of what this writing is in this important document called the estate plan. Right. I think that there's, there's a couple we want to make sure we're doing here. It comes to young kids. So first of all, I'm going to advocate working, and I, I know this can come off as biased coming from an estate planning attorney, but I've seen plans that are do-it-yourself uh, versus those that are done by someone who does this sometimes versus you know, like a dedicated estate planning attorney, and they end up being very different plans. If you're working with someone who does this regularly, they're probably, or at least I would hope they would, uh, lead with education. So they're going to lead with helping you understand what it is we're going to do. The documents do have legalese. The reason for that is because these documents are talking. You'd think they'd be talking to your family. They're not. They're talking to the court. So they're using court and lawyer language. And that's just the way it is because those things do mean very specific things. And it doesn't have to be just the way it is. It doesn't have to be. <laughs> you know, no, no, seriously, because so many people make so many mistakes when it comes to legalese. Yeah. So it's important that we understand. You know that words matter. You are very clear on that. And so if I'm yeah. in sitting in, in an office with you mm-hmm. and you're telling me or trying to explain something to me and I say to you, I don't understand, I don't understand that. No, 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 I don't understand that. Then we should stop until there is an understanding. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. The words of the document might need to read a certain way, depending on what it is that you, that you want to happen. Because again, the audience for this thing is, is the court system and it has to read for them. But that doesn't mean that you have to just blindly accept uh, that this is something that I don't understand. If you're, if you're working with uh, an estate planning professional, they've probably, probably heard your question before or something similar to it. Um, and if they haven't, they, they still are going to have a fairly in-depth understanding of what every sentence in this thing means. So if you are working with a professional, do stop that conversation and, and ask for clarification. Exactly. Ideally, that exactly. professional is walking you through this in a way where these are clear as you're going. But absolutely, you, would, you wouldn't want to... You wouldn't want to I want a law. I want us to have a law that says you cannot deliver legalese you really unless you make sure that the people understand it i am so sorry that we have run out of time uh philip but thank you so much for joining us tonight and if people want to reach out to you where do they go they go to stone arch like the bridge in minneapolis stonearchlaw.com we have a number of videos and downloadable resources if they'd like to connect with us Um, they can certainly make an appointment with the team if they have questions and we'd love to hear from i really appreciate it you take care you too have a wonderful night
All-star closer, Kenley Jansen, we have a question. What's the best podcast of all time? Baseball isn't boring, baby. I'm Rob Bradford, and every single day I'm sitting down with the biggest names to show you this great game is the greatest game. It's my podcast. It's my passion. It's a cause I started more than two years ago and is now the most prolific national daily baseball pod. There is another fact, so jump aboard the B.I.B. Express. Follow and listen to Baseball Isn't Boring, presented by Wasabi Hot Cloud Storage on the free Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts.